So today we're going to be talking about light. And I think the best place to start is just going with what Jesus says. In Matthew 5, 14, this is what Jesus says. He says, you are the light of the world. You are a city that is set on a hill which cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that you may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. What Jesus says to us is, he says, you are the light of the world. Just like last week we talked about salt, it's not a suggestion. It's not Jesus saying, hey, you guys should try to be the lights of the world. I think that would be a good idea. He actually is saying, you are the light of the world. And so we're going to see today how we can operate in what God has called us to be. But I think sometimes when we think of light of the world, at least for me, I think of kind of the Disney version, which is, you know, you're a bright light. Baby, you're a firework. Believe in yourself and you'll shine. Sometimes we can be like that story in Greek mythology of Icarus who flew too close to the sun and got burned. For me, uh, when I was trying to shine, when I was trying to stand out, didn't work out too well, um, I was... I think in seventh grade, and I went on this field trip to the Star of India. Did any of you guys ever go on the Star of India? It was this boat, like, out in San Diego Harbor. And it was crazy because they wanted you to pretend like you were on a pirate ship for this field trip. So they had a full crew. They had a cook, first mate, second mate, third mate, and they had a captain. She was this mean, old, cantankerous lady, and I was really afraid of her in seventh grade. Um, but somehow I earned her favor. I don't know what I did. I wasn't, like, like polishing her toenails or anything like that. But somehow, I, aimed, I gained her respect. And, and at some point, my little seventh grade self was welcomed up in front of everybody. And she presented me with this weird, like, hammer. And she's like, this is the hammer of power. And if you take this, you shall be honorary mate. And I was like, whoa. And she gave me these responsibilities. I have no idea what those responsibilities are. I can't remember. And I didn't even do them. Um, so what happened was I, I, I had this moment where I was shining, and everyone was looking at me going, oh, look at Aaron. Well, then one of the worst moments of my life happened the next day after we slept because the captain found out I didn't do any of the things she told me to do. So in front of all my friends, she calls me up. This is 100% true. I just have to preface. This is 100% true. She calls me up in front of all my friends, and I go up, and she goes, you have disgraced the name of the honorary mate. She grabbed my hammer, and then she gave it to Michael, the kid I couldn't stand, Michael. She gave it to him, like my worst enemy, in front of all my friends. They were laughing. And then as they were laughing at me, and the captain was looking at me with a mean face, a seagull flew by and just right on my head, just unloaded a load on my head. <laughs> it was like literally like one of those moments where I was like, is this even possible? So... The point of that random story is sometimes if we try to shine, we can be let down by the crushing weight of our expectations being dashed when we try to do good things, when we try to do good in the world, when you try to get that good grade, when you try to be perfect in school, have that perfect year. Eventually, you hit a roadblock where you realize it's really hard for me to shine. It's really hard for me um, to be illuminating. And I think Jesus meant something more than just try to be a good person or try your best to be cool in front of people or try your best to be liked. Um, I think before we understand how we are the light of the world, we have to see how Jesus 
is the light of the world. And so what I want to do is I want to tell you guys a story from the Gospel of John, chapter 9. This uh, whole series is called Epic, and it's about the words, yes, but also the actions of Jesus. So we're looking at the things Jesus did. So I know this is risky on a Sunday morning, especially because you're the second service crowd and you're sleepy. Um, I, yeah, it's probably going to be risky to ask this, but I want you guys to close your eyes and keep them closed uh, because I want you to suspend in your mind imagination of what's going on in this story. I'm going to be describing this story to you from the point of a blind man. I want you to pretend you are the blind man in the story. So if you start to fall asleep, you can open your eyes. So everyone close your eyes, okay? We're going to go through this story. I was blind from birth. It was scary for me. It was shameful for my parents. I was scared at night because I couldn't see where I was going. I would often get separated from the other kids. My mother would worry because I'd get lost, and other kids would make fun of me. They'd hit me and run because they knew I couldn't see them and catch up. I knew mom and dad loved the Lord. They loved Yahweh. And people thought that my parents were being punished for their sin, that God had stricken me blind from birth because of some sin my parents had done. I knew I would never marry, I would never be a father, I would never even have a job, and that was one of the hardest things. I would never have a normal life, because at 13 years old, all boys in Israel would get jobs. They would do what their fathers did, and I was ashamed. I couldn't do those things, and so I decided I would resort to begging. It was disgraceful, it was humiliating to sit on the ground and sit in a pile of dirt and beg for scraps from people, but I didn't want to be a burden on my father. I didn't want to stay home. So I started begging, and it was very shameful. I got to know the other beggars. Some of them were fakers. They weren't real beggars, which made me angry. Some would walk by, make fun of me. Young boys would come up and kick me, and sometimes they'd take the money I'd collected, but that was my life. The best place to beg was near the temple on Sabbath because people were usually in a godly mindset. They'd be leaving church. Some people loved to give in public. They'd make a big show of it, and they'd come, and they'd drop their coins in my coin cup. And so I started begging on the Sabbath near the temple on a regular basis. And there were teachers traveling around with large numbers of students, and the students were always asking questions of their teachers. Sometimes they asked questions about me. They said, why did God make me this way? Why did they make that blind man that way? It was humiliating. They wouldn't talk to me. It was like I was some subject to dissect in class. It was like I wasn't even there. I remember one day a certain teacher and students, they were asking questions then about me. And so they stopped in front and they asked, why is this man blind? They asked the master. And, and one student made me very mad. He said to his teacher, is this man blind because of his sin or the sin of his parents? And I was so angry when I heard that because I knew my parents had done nothing wrong. And they had assumed that I was so wicked that I had sinned before I was born. How is that even possible that someone could sin before they were even born? Or they assumed that my parents were so wicked and evil that they did something bad. Maybe they killed someone or maybe they stole something. And I wanted to yell at them as they said these things. I wanted to tell them some people suffer because of sin, but some people have done nothing to deserve their suffering. Some people suffer and they don't know why. And that has been the story of me and my family. I remembered when I was a boy, my mom used to read me from the book of Job. And Job was a good man. Job loved God. Job had great suffering, but it was never because of anything he did. You see, there was something happening people could not see. 
The friends of this man, of Job, they accused him of being sinful. They said, Job, this is your fault. It's because of something you did. And, but I knew I was like Job. Because I had done nothing wrong. I had always loved the Lord. I had always kept his commandments. I was just simply born blind. It wasn't my choice. I wanted to tell the young student who was sitting there talking to his master about me like I was some sort of test subject. But I knew it wouldn't matter. I, I just wanted them to leave me alone. And so I waited for the teacher to answer. Not sure what he'd say. I wasn't sure what he'd say, but I knew that I'd be angry. Then he said something that shocked me. Something I have always known deep down inside, but I've never heard anyone else say it. With great compassion, he said, this man is blind not because of his sin or his parents' sin, which was a tremendous statement to me that he knew about my sin and my parents' sin, but instead he explained, this man is this way because this is how God wants him to be, and God has permitted him to be this way so that God's glory and his power would be shown in him. And when I heard those words, I mean, my life was changed instantly. It filled me with hope. This was the first time a teacher had ever said that God was good and that me being blind wasn't because of something I had done wrong, but because it was in God's will and God was going to use my blindness for something beautiful. I could feel this teacher kneeling down next to me, and then I heard him spit into the ground, and I heard his hands moving in the dust, and it reminded me of Genesis, when God's hands created man out of the dust. Then he did something that shocked me. He took that mud and he scooped it up and he put it in my eyes. And at first I was confused. I didn't expect to have some random stranger put mud in my eyes today. But then he told me, go wash your face. But it wasn't in a cruel, mean way. It wasn't that he was playing some joke on me. This man spoke with authority. So I listened. I went to a pool of water and I I washed the mud out of my eyes, and I was stunned because I felt pain in my eyes. And suddenly, instead of darkness, the world flooded with light, and I didn't know what it was. It was shocking. I didn't know if I was healed. I had never seen anything. I didn't know what to expect. You guys can open your eyes. So, continuing the story. Amazing. In my life, I had smelled, but I have never seen. I touched, but I have never seen. All of a sudden, I could see things, colors, shapes, light. It was overwhelming, unlike anything I'd ever experienced. And I stood there for what seemed like hours. I knew I had been healed. I didn't want it to go away. People passing by could see I was amazed, asking me, what happened to you? Some people recognized me. That's the beggar. I've given him money before. Some people stopped and asked, are you not the man we gave money to who was supposedly blind? What happened? So I told them my story. A man named Jesus came, and he healed me of my blindness. They began to argue and debate. Some said it's a miracle. Others said it was a trick of the devil. Others said I was lying. They decided to take me to the authorities, the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, these religious leaders, they asked me, what happened to you? So I told them my simple story. And they asked, who healed you? And I said it was a prophet, because a prophet has God's authority and power. It was Jesus People started arguing about Jesus. Some people said, wicked, he's a wicked and sinful person. Others said, only God can do such a thing. Who's this Jesus? He's not God. They, they were fighting. It was amazing. I had never seen anger in a face. 
It almost made me sad that I could see. There was such anger and hatred and violence in the eyes of the people. They decided they could not trust what I said, so they demanded someone bring my parents. And they made sure it was a fact I was blind since I was born. I waited for hours. They brought my mother and father to question them. And the door opened, and for the first time in my life, I saw the face of my mother, and she was weeping bitterly. I could see her face, and there was hope, hoping that I was truly healed. Next to her, holding her hand was my father. And I looked down, and for the first time, I saw my father's hand. I had felt that hand my whole life as it guided me, as it held me, as it comforted me, and as it disciplined me. And I had held that hand of my father through all the trials when I was afraid. And for the first time, I saw that hand. For the first time, I saw my father's hand and my mother's face. And I got angry. I said, why are these Pharisees here questioning them right away? They didn't even give me time to speak to my parents. They didn't even give me time to celebrate. They began asking my mother, is this your son? And was he blind from birth? And my mother answered, of course, truthfully. She said, this is my son, and he has always been blind. So they began to press my mother for further answers. Who healed him, and what do you think about the man who did? My mother and father looked at one another, and they knew that this was more than just a series of normal questions to prove the miracle to the religious leaders. They knew that there was something far more controversial that was happening. My parents were put in this terrible problem. If they sided with Jesus, they'd be kicked out of the church. They would lose everything. My parents said it was true I was blind from birth and that I should speak for myself. Whatever I said, they should believe. And so they kept asking me again, how were you healed? They were hoping I'd change my story, but I didn't. I told them about Jesus. These men were jealous of Jesus. Jesus had done something simple and wonderful and beautiful. They were trying to complicate it. They were trying to take away the simple thing God had done. And I couldn't go along with their lies. Somehow God gave me in that moment great confidence and boldness because in the face of all these lies, I knew that someone needed to tell the truth. So I asked them their motives. Why do you want me to tell my story again? I, at that point, I identified myself as now joining Jesus' side. I was a disciple of Jesus. How could I not be a follower of the man who healed me? And I was asking them, do you also want to be his students as well? And they became very angry when I said that. They insulted me. They hurled insults. And I realized that Jesus must be from God. Because that is only a man with God's power could heal. So I gave them my argument. I said, Jesus healed me. And only a man who loves God and walks with God has God's power to heal. Therefore, if Jesus healed, he must be from God. At that point, they called me a sinner. And they said I was an enemy of God. And they literally kicked me out of the church. They literally, with their feet, kicked me out. And they said, we want nothing more to do with you. You can never return to the church. And I ran out upset. I sat down for the loneliest moment of my life. I had lost my family. I couldn't go back to see them. I had lost my friends. The religious leaders turned their back. I thought they were there to help me, but instead they threw me out. They thought I was a sinner as a baby, and this was all my fault. My dream of seeing had become a nightmare. I had nobody, and I had nothing. Suddenly, a man started walking towards me, a man filled with joy and hope. I wasn't sure who. I said, maybe it is Jesus. I've never seen his face. I've only felt his hand, and I've heard his voice. The man sat with me. He told me who he was. He said, I'm Jesus. He knew my situation. He came to be with me because I was lonely and hurt. He asked me, do you believe in the Son of Man? I said, yes, I do. I knew he was talking about the Messiah. Yes, I believe in him. 
And if you tell me who he is, I told him, I will follow him. Who is he? Who is the Messiah? Who is the Son of Man? And Jesus, with great love, looked at me, and he said, you are speaking to him right now. And then I said, Lord, I believe, and I worship. It's a beautiful story of the blind man. And I think as I listen to that story, as it's told in the Gospel of John, and as we've fleshed it out today, I realize that no matter where I've been born, what family I came from, I am that blind man. Without Jesus, I have nothing. I can fool myself and think I was born into a Christian family. I'm a pastor's son. I always saw the light. But the truth is, I know who I am without Jesus. And I have nothing. I'm blind. I'm lost. I'm hopeless. We all are that blind man without Jesus. Jesus is the light. And guys, here's the amazing thing. We can look at that story of the blind man who's been given light. And you can look at your own life. Think of your own darkness. I remember one time my pastor, Evan Wickham, told me, you know, he's like, if I didn't know Jesus, I would be such a dark person. I can't fool myself into thinking that I would be this good, charitable, amazing person without Jesus because I know my own sin. And I think of that. Like, I know my own sin. I know who I am. Like, I know the darkest corners of my heart. And I'm sure you do too. Without Jesus, those are the people that we become. So we've been given these, this light that gives us healing, that gives us forgiveness. We've been given this light, and Jesus says, not only I am the light, but he says, you are the light. I've given you a light so that you can be filled. Jesus wants us to spread the light to others. Look at the verse again. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify, I can't talk, your Father in heaven. I want to talk about a few things before we leave today about what we know about light. The first thing is that light guides. That's obviously very simple. You guys know about Ben Franklin? He's on, what, the $100 bill, right? Yeah? Okay. So Ben Franklin, he wished to interest the people in Philadelphia in street lighting. No one was interested. Like, the streets were dark at that time. And he said, we need street lighting. But he didn't try to persuade people just by talking about it. He hung a beautiful lantern on a long bracket in the front of his home, and he kept the glass of the lantern polished, and he always carefully lit the candle, and people saw the light from far off, and when they walked in the light of the lamp, they found that it helped them to find their way in the street. And so soon people realized as they saw Benjamin Franklin's light that they also needed that light. And my point in that is just saying that you're a Christian won't do much. That was, for me, a lot of times in junior high and high school, like, I thought that was the extent of being a light, just telling people I'm a Christian. But just telling people that we're a Christian, just, just the words of saying, yeah, I'm a Christian, that doesn't actually do a lot. It's living out your faith. It's living it out for the world to see. That does a ton. Some of you guys are going through trials right now. And when people who don't know Jesus see you going through those trials, and they see the joy, and they see the peace that radiates from within, that's what causes them to look and go, what is different about this person? Like, what is it that they have that I desperately need? If you're going through something that's a struggle right now, I encourage you, keep going to that source of light. Let Jesus fill you with that light so that people can see you and go, man, you're going through something harder than I ever have before. How is it that you have this amazing light. 
guys, one of the best sources to get the light inside of our hearts is God's word. Because what does it say? Thy word is a blank what? Thy word is a lamp. <laughs> Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Imagine, you know, you're going with a friend to a dark cave and you guys are showing up and your friend's like, so we're going to go in this dark cave. And there's all these holes and there's like a bridge that doesn't work and there's like lava pits and snakes. It's really dark in there. We can't see anything. Imagine if you had a lantern in your backpack and you were just like, sweet, let's go in this dark cave with no light. And then you just go inside. That'd be ridiculous. But we carry around God's word with us all the time. We have that light, that lamp into our path. Do we pull it out? Do we use it? The point is whether you're saved or unsaved, people react to God's word. There's so many problems in the world that people are going through. You guys are surrounded by people who are going through problems. I don't know if you've noticed, but people have problems. We wear our happy face and we talk about everything is good, but you guys know the people you're deepest close with, the people that you have friendships with, where you'll sit down and talk and have a conversation, those are the people who know the struggles and the trials. I, I mean, I'm the same way. When we're out here at church, we want to talk about the positive things going on in our life. Like, hey, I'm doing good in this area. I've made improvement here. And it's good to talk about those things and be encouraged. But you guys know there's struggles in everyone's life. Things that we go through, hard things, things we wrestle with. Whether it's sins and temptations we're trying to shake. Whether it's something that's happened in our life something that we didn't expect, something that we just are like, how can I deal with this problem? Whether it's the trial of trying to get through school, whether it's a sickness in a family, whether it's, I mean, fill in the blank. There are so many things that we go through where we just wonder, how do I get through this? And why, God, would you allow this to happen? And guys, for yourself and for the people around you who are going through these things, we have the source of light so many times we feel like we're in darkness because we don't understand what God is doing. And God has given us this book that if we will just open it up and search through the scriptures, we will see God's plan for our life. It's a beautiful, amazing thing. And guys, here's, here's the great thing that I love about the age we're living in. I just want to give you guys some really practical tips. Let's say you're at school and you know someone is going through something. Nowadays, how hard is it to go online and just Google Bible verses about fill in the blank. Bible verses about depression. Bible verses about suicidal thoughts. Bible verses about lust. Whatever it is that your friend is struggling with, Bible verses about fighting with your parents. I mean, there is a wealth of information that you can just Google. And it's like, it's all there. It's right there. And it's so easy now to just go and say, what does God's word have to say about this? And then you can print that out or you can write it on a piece of paper and you can go to your friend and say, hey, I know what you're struggling with. This is what God's word says because, guys, God's word changes our world. We don't have an excuse to not use the resource of God's word. I encourage you, encourage somebody this week who's going through it. Give them God's word. Don't just give them worldly advice. Like, give them what God's word says about what they're going through. The word of the Lord does not return void. That means if you throw God's word at somebody, it's never just going to hit them, and they're going to go, eh. They might go, eh. but 
in their heart, in their heart, God is digging a tunnel in through the, through the hard shell to the gooey candy center of everyone's heart. God is hitting in there with his word. Trust in God's word's ability to work. Here's the next thing that light does. It warms. I remember recently we were doing a guy's night. I think it was a guy's night. I remember, yeah, it was a guy's video game night. We were playing Manhunt in the church, and with, we set up in there. We're all hiding, and we're all on these awesome, amazing spots. And all of a sudden, like, the cleaning crew shows up. So they turn on the light, and we're all just, like, sitting in our spots. And they're like, uh, what's going on? It was super creepy. I felt really bad because we had to throw the entire game away. But for a brief moment, when I was in my super secret awesome spot that I will not reveal, but it's in the nursery. It's a <laughs> so now I, you know what? Too many people know, so I can never hide there again. But I had this really good spot in the nursery, and I was sitting in there in, like, total darkness. Just like, you know, like, when things are so dark that you feel like you can kind of see, but then the darkness kind of just blends together everything, and you literally, like, all you can see is, like, kind of those little, like, fuzz does anyone ever get those, too? Like, that, that when you're staring at pitch black, if it was just me, I've wondered about that since I'm a little kid, actually. Like, oh, when I close my eyes, I see little fuzzy things. Like, I don't know. It might just be me. But as I was sitting in darkness, I was, like, literally, like, the lights were on. I was looking at the nursery. I knew the terrain of the nursery. I knew how to get around. Now everything is completely dark. If I tried to walk in the nursery right now, I would trip over things. I would fall. And a thought came to me, and I was like, what if this was life? Like, what if... Literally, it was just darkness and just stumbling around trying to find my way through life. And then it hit me. People who don't have Jesus, that's what they're living in. They're living in pitch black darkness. Sure, they might have some artificial light that they think it shows them what life is. But truly, they really are stumbling around in the dark. And it's so sad. Imagine you've been out wandering in the dark at night and it's cold. Because when you wander out at night in the dark, it's cold. That's what happens unless you live in a volcano and then it's warm. And then you're wandering around in the dark and you see a light off in the distance. And you go, it's a light. I'm so happy. And you want to get to the light because you're freezing and it's dark and it's cold. And you know that when you get to a light, it causes warmth. My question to you guys is, are we giving off the warmth the light of love? Are we giving that off? When people see you from afar, when people don't really know you that well, when you're cruising around your school and people see you, do you give off a light to somebody who's walking in the darkness? When they see you, is their light emanating? So when they're just freezing because Satan has them down and they look at you, can they see a light that is changing? Guys, oftentimes Christians are so cold to sinners. And the sad thing is we forget that we once were lost sinners, especially those of us who were born in the church. We can look and go, oh, that sinner. I can't believe that sinner sinned. What a sinner. And we forget that's where we came from. That's who we were. I don't care if you're like me, if you're born in a Christian home, I'm a sinner. I don't care if you're a pastor's kid, you're a sinner. I'm a sinner. I don't care if you got saved yesterday or I don't care if you feel like you got born and the doctor slapped you and you were like, hallelujah, and you're, you were saved. Like, some of us feel that way, but 
But we were born into darkness, and it's only because of Jesus that we have the light. Guys, there's a story from uh, Sean McDowell. He's an amazing speaker, um, brilliant theologian, just this guy who's very into science and, and fighting against all these secular beliefs. I mean, if you guys ever want to look him up, his stuff on, uh, like, relativism and what is truth and fighting against um, kind of secular evolutionary thinking is brilliant stuff if you want to check that out. But one day, um, he goes to the school. He has this trick that he does. Um, it's actually really funny. I was at a pastor's conference um, one time, and he was talking about this, and he was saying, um, he does this thing where he's a speaker, and he gets up, and he's in front of a ton of pastors, and he, he, he isn't wearing a jacket, and he pulls the jacket out. And he says, okay, guys, listen, I'm going to play a character. When I put on this jacket, I'm going to be an atheist, and I'm going to talk to you guys exactly the way an atheist does. And the great thing is, this guy's so smart that he studied atheism so well that he knows how to argue from an atheist point of view. He doesn't believe it, but he knows how to argue it really well. So he's like putting on this jacket, and he's playing this character, and he starts talking to the pastors, and he's standing on this stage, and he's talking to these pastors about atheism. Some pastor walks in the room late, and he doesn't know that it's an act, and he's like, what is this guy doing on the stage? Get him off! He's a sinner! And everyone kind of looks like, awkward, and that guy sits down. Uh, well, he does the same thing at this school. He goes to, um, or no, it wasn't a school, it was a youth group. He goes to this youth group, and he's talking to all these youth group kids on a Wednesday night in a dark room. He gets up, he puts on the jacket, pretends he's an atheist. And he's, if you guys, if you guys, if any of you guys want to see this, I'll send you the link. There's one that I saw at a school where he's debating all these, like, kids who grew up in a school kind of like Calvary Christian. They're raised Christian, and they've only ever heard Christian points of view. So he's debating these kids, and he's just destroying them. And they get frustrated. Like, they get angry at him. Like, what are you doing? And at the end, he's like, the reason I'm doing this is because you need to know your stuff. Like, you need to know the way that the enemy thinks because you're going to go to college and get destroyed if you don't. So if any of you guys are interested in seeing that, let me know because maybe we'll watch that in Bible class. It'll be awesome. Anyway. Um, so he gets up in front of the youth group, and he's talking about atheism, and he's just, like, going at it, and he's talking about it, and he's throwing out all these opinions, and the kids are starting to get, like, really angry. And they, some kids stand up, and they're like, you know what? If you don't accept Jesus, you're going to burn in hell forever. And, like, everyone starts clapping, like, yeah, yeah, sucker. And, you know, and he's, he's obviously still playing the atheist, and he's like, okay, well, that's how you feel, but, like, can we have, like, a normal conversation about it? And he's going on, and the kids are starting to, like, just really, like, like ride him. They're starting to get on. They're like, you know, if the Bible says it, it's good enough for me. And they're not arguing, like, good points against him. They're just literally treating him like dirt. So afterwards, after the thing's over, he stops being the atheist, and he takes his jacket off. A girl comes up to him, and she's like, you know, I'm an atheist. And Sean's like, you are? Okay, well, have you ever told anybody in your youth group? Does your pastor know? Does anyone know? And the girl says, no, I've never told anyone because I've always been afraid that if I told them I was an atheist, they would treat me the way they treated you when you were pretending to be an atheist. And now I know that's the truth, so I'm never going to tell them. And so that girl never was able to get help. The truth is, as Christians, we can honestly be cold to people who are outside of our group. We can, we can be so comfy and cozy and happy to be with other Christians when we see somebody who is a non-Christian, when we see someone who we label as a sinner we can just be like, what is going on with them? Like, why don't they repent? Like, we can judge them by their sin when really if people knew all of our sins, if people could see every single sin we've ever done, people would label us just as big sinners. 
Guys, we need to be loving and warm to everybody. I want this group to be one where a Buddhist could walk in the room and they would just feel so loved. I want this group to be one where a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon or somebody who doesn't exactly subscribe to Christianity could come here and we would just welcome them and love them and give them Jesus because it's the light is the truth and we want to give them that light but it needs to be the kind of light that warms people not the kind of light that's like a fire that like burns people who don't know Jesus like we don't want to go street with us and be like if you don't accept Jesus you're gonna burn they're like ow why ah we want to go and we want to show them the warmth and the light and the love of Jesus of course we let them know about hell of course we let them know about sin but there's a way we can do it I mean if you look at Jesus I mean how was he with the blind man how was he with the woman at the well? How was he with the woman who was caught in adultery? Was he screaming at them? No, he was always loving. We need to be warm and loving to everybody. Sinners, the friend who's wronged you, the person in your life who's caused you pain, think right now of the person in your life you're just mad at right now. You need to love them. You need to show them the warmth of the Lord. Maybe that family member who just gets on your nerves, and right now it is that time where the family members are coming out of the trees. They're just like, I'm here to annoy you. I'm your great aunt Gertrude. And you're just like, I want nothing to do with you. Um, <laughs> they, go, they go right for the cheeks. Just, ah, uh, it's crazy. So my wife is texting me. Hey, babe. Uh, oh, it's gone. I couldn't read it fast enough. Anyway. <laughs> so... <laughs> I saw it, and I was, I was excited. I was like, oh, a text from Brooklyn. And then it, like, was all, whew. I was like, oh, my heart. <laughs> Actually, just take a break. I'm going to go read. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> if I was a good husband. Um, <laughs> I am, <laughs> most of the time. We decorated the tree last night. It was so fun. We were, like, putting all these little ornaments, and Brooklyn got me a Kermit the Frog ornament. And I was just like, oh, hi ho. And it was awesome. So anyway, the family member who gets on your nerves, you got to love them. This is a great time to love them. You're, you're going to be in close quarters with them and they're going to be in prime cheek pinching mode. And this is your opportunity, especially if they don't know Jesus. But if they do know Jesus too, this is your opportunity to show them that warmth and that love and that light. Guys, we need to go out of our way to love others. I want to encourage you guys, don't lose love. Did you know our generation is known as the generation that has the least amount of compassion for other human beings in history? And you know what the reason is, I think? At least, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not looking at you guys going, I understand your generation. I'm just talking about myself right now. For me, it has a lot to do with turning off my phone. It has a lot to do, yes, that's exactly what it has to do with. It has a lot to do with technology. Because think about it. Back in the day, if you lived in a small town in Oklahoma, there was no internet. So if, like, a, if the town next door got hit by a tornado, if you saw that in the news, it was like, oh, my gosh, like, I can't believe this happens in the world. Oh, we need to do something to help them. Or if you heard about someone who was sick. I mean, you lived in a small community. You only knew about so many things. Nowadays, I know about so many things. I go on Facebook, and it's like, these people are sick. These people are dying. These people are in Africa. These people got flooded. This happened. Help this cause. Help this cause. Help this cause. And I think what happens to our generation is we start to tune out, and we start to only pay attention to the people who have the best viral marketing campaign. If they've got a sick video, then it's like, okay, like, you're worthy of a little bit of my attention right now. Maybe I'll help your cause. 
Maybe uh, I won't donate anything to help you, but I'll dump some water on my head and take a selfie of it because everyone else is doing it and it's the cool thing to do. Right? You guys get what I'm saying? Think about Coney. The whole Coney thing, I mean, how long did that last? Everyone was flipping out. I'd bet, like, literally 95% of the people who were flipping out didn't even understand the issue. They just saw the video, and they're like, oh, Coney, we got to kill Coney. And it's like, wait, who's Coney? Uh, Or maybe they were, like, thinking of the guy who made the video, and they're like, well, let's kill him. And do you even understand the issue? Like, do we even understand what's going on? A lot of the times, things blow up, and they get really huge, and then they go away. No one's talking about ice bucket anymore. No one's talking about... ALS anymore. And it's so easy for things to come up and we just, I want to challenge you guys, have compassion. And what this means is not literally, if you don't want to get Batman syndrome, and what I mean by that is Batman, 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 if you guys know Batman, Batman is like plagued because he looks at his city and he's like, Gotham, people are getting mugged. Like he's looking at Gotham City and literally, he can't sleep or rest or just enjoy life because he's constantly like, people are dying. I've got to do something. You can go the far extreme of that where literally, like, everything you see, you freak out about. But here's what I want to challenge you guys. Take moments in your social media experiences to slow down and think, how can I be a light in this situation? When you see somebody who's sick, like, don't just like and then scroll for the next thing. Like, maybe, like, stop what you're doing close the computer, put the phone in your pocket, and pray for, like, a solid little amount of time for that person who's sick. Like, likes do not equal prayers. Like, you know what I mean? Like, we're, we can easily just go through and just like, 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 like everything, and we think we're sending goodwill towards people, but really God is calling us as a generation of people to take the time to go to him in prayer. In Israel's day, when Israel was, when their nation was having a terrible, terrible time, and people were dying, and people were in slavery, and people were oppressed, a prophet would go out in the street, and he'd be like, we need to turn our, ourselves back to God. We need to repent. We need to do something. And it didn't say that people were like, oh, Isaiah's message. Like, <laughs> like that's not what it was. It's like people, like, tore their clothes and put ashes on their head and, like, weeped and prayed. And I just think as a generation, we're getting far away from that, where there's so much going on, there's so much happening in our brain, and there's so much to access, and there's so much to like, and and if something doesn't have a good video campaign or whatever, we can just ignore it. I want to challenge you guys. I mean, social media can be an awesome way to bring to your attention what's going on. Once you see somebody who's sick, like when Jesus, Jesus says, laugh with those who laugh, which is easy. We see somebody who posts a funny meme or something, we're like, ha ha, love it. That's fun. But somebody, the Bible also says weep with those who weep. And you see somebody, this happens to me sometimes. I see someone who's on Facebook and they're like posting some long rant about how bad their life is. I just be like, ugh, scroll past that. I don't want to deal with that person's problem. But really, I mean, really, if the Lord like stirs my heart up, I mean, and that's something I have to let him do. I have to be like patient enough to not just be so constantly looking through things. But if I see someone who's actually going through pain in their life, to stop what I'm doing and just pray for them. Say, God, give them help. Give them peace, Lord. Not just a quick, like, Lord, help them. Whew, moving through. But I'm, I'm challenging you guys. Be that light in that way. Maybe send somebody a verse. If somebody posts on Facebook, Instagram, they're going through a hard time. Go find a verse. Go Google what they're going through and post it to them. You can be a light. that it, It's all about pointing people back to God. It's all about pointing people back to who God is. Take every opportunity. Guys, that's why we go out street witnessing. 
That's why we go out to homeless shelters. That's why we go out Christmas caroling. This month, on December 20th, we're going to go to people who are widows, people who have sick relatives, people who are in need, people who are hungry, and we're going to bring them joy. Take every opportunity you get. Here's the last thing that light does, and we're wrapping this up. Light reveals. I'm running out of time. So consider this. There was a girl who was playing in the park, and the girl falls down a well. The girl gets trapped. She's stuck in a tight space. Police and firemen try to get her out of the well. The girl is terrified in the darkness. She feels lost, and she feels alone. Her father desperately wants to reach her. And as the rescue team worked on a plan to remove this girl from the tight space of the well, every hour, the father of the girl wrote messages and attached them to a lantern. And as the light traveled down into the darkness, this young girl was able to read the messages. Daddy loves you. It's going to be okay. Help is coming. We're going to rescue you. And through the light and the messages, the girl was able to have the strength to hold on until at last she was saved. This is easy to figure out. The girl in the story represents all of us. We've all fallen into darkness. A lot of times we get stuck and we feel like we can't move past it. God is the father who desperately wants to reach his lost children in that darkness. And so God sent his message into the darkness. God sent his word into the darkness. And his message and his word was always Jesus. And guys, the light of the message reveals God. The light of Jesus reveals God. It reveals his love. It reveals who he is. There's a church one time, you guys know Christmas Eve, they do the candlelit service. There was once a Christmas Eve service where everyone's got their little candles out. All of a sudden, a storm hits the town. All the electricity goes out. All the light goes out. And the people in the church have their little candles. And they're like, oh, it's a good thing we have these lights because everything else is dark. And they go to the door and they look outside and they just see chaos. There's people running in the streets. There's traffic all stopped up. People are ducking and covering and looking for shelter in this crazy storm. And the people in the church are standing there with their little candles looking out. And they're like, it's a good thing we're not out there because it's pretty bad out there. When Jesus has called us not to hide in churches with our light, but to take it out into the darkness. Guys, the storm outside in the world, it's not going to blow over. The world is going to get worse before Jesus comes back. So why do we hide out in our Christian bubble? Why do, why do we hide it under a bushel? What's a bushel? I don't even know. Hide it under a bushel, no. Uh, we have the light. We are called to go out there. Here's my last thing I want to say. When you guys, if I were to grab right now a light bulb, and I meant to do this, but I'm lame, so I forgot. So just imagine there's a light bulb in my hand. If I were to hold a light bulb in my hand, could I be like, light up? Would it, like, no. It wouldn't turn on. <laughs> light up. <laughs> light bulb. <laughs> no, you can't do that. You can't be like, clap on. Like, it's not going to work. It's got to be connected to a source. For a light to actually work, it's got to be connected to something. You never just see like fire like levitating through the air. It always has to be connected to a candle or to a source. Guys, the Lord wants you to be a light, but before you can do that, you've got to connect to that source. You've got to go and spend some time with Jesus, and he will light up your heart so that you'll be able to go into the darkness and bless people.
If you're sitting in here and the last thing you're thinking is, this message is depressing because darkness is scary. And I know I'm supposed to be a light, but the darkness is scary. Guys, light should never fear darkness. Because what happens? If you're in a dark room and you bring a light into the room, what happens? It's light. It's not dark. You can never turn on darkness. You can never flip the darkness switch. You can only turn light off. Light pierces the darkness. So whatever your environment is that is dark, whether it is a family, whether it's a school hallway, whether it's a group of friends online that you talk with on Instagram, whatever it is that you are in a dark environment, don't be afraid to turn on that light because light always pierces the darkness. And you have the light in you, and God has called you to be the light. It's not a suggestion. He's saying you are the light. So pray today. Lord, how can I be a light in my dark situation? Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we thank you so much for your light. It's powerful. It's amazing. It's illuminating. And God, I know all of us have things in our life that are dark. All of us have places and groups of people that are full of darkness. But God, I pray that you'd help us to be lights. Help us, God, to shine in the darkness through very simple ways, Lord, through acts of kindness through telling people about you, through witnessing, through giving people scripture, which is the lantern that guides the life of people. Lord, I pray we would not be afraid. We wouldn't be scared. We wouldn't be embarrassed, God, but that we'd realize we would see a group of people that are asleep in the dark. Help us to not be asleep in the light. Help us to wake up, get outside these church doors, and bring that light to the darkness. May we not just be a lightness party where we just sit around and talk about how light we are, but that we come here to get filled up with that oil for that lamp that burns bright, and we'd go out and we would reach people for you. Help us to do this, Jesus. We love you, and we ask all these things in your name. Amen.